come willingly into darkness's cave, it will find us. Last year, I was dragged into darkness. This year, I walk toward it on my own accord. Curious, darkness, I say. I am ready to deepen the dance we began last year. Welcome to Gathering Gold, a podcast for highly sensitive souls. I'm Cheryl Paul, a counselor trained in the Jungian depth psychological tradition. And I'm Victoria Russell, Cheryl's niece and co-host. Here we are in December, kind of inching towards the end of another year which I cannot believe how long it's been since we started this podcast. Mm. I feel like the end of the year always makes me take stock and remember how much time has passed. You shared with me last week some really beautiful writing and journaling prompts that you and I talked about sitting down with each night before recording to see what would come up for us. Prompts that, that you will share later in this episode about darkness and sunlight. And I did sit down with those prompts once, (laughs) but other nights I just felt so bone tired. Mm. Maybe other people are feeling this too. By the end of the day, especially this time of year, like we've had Thanksgiving, there's been a lot of gatherings. I'm at the end of my fall semester at school, so I've had bunch of projects all due this past week and night classes. And I'm actually loving the dark. I'm actually Mm -hmm. really enjoying the short days because it feels like relief to be in my safe, cozy home, which is a total privilege, on a cold, dark night without all the expectations that daylight, I feel, bring. But I've been feeling that tiredness and that spentness. And when you and I started recording, we usually light a candle and you were lighting your candle. And I said, I don't even have candles in the house. I'm out of candles. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I said, oh, I think I might have one that hasn't burnt down too low. And I went and I found that candle and I lit it. And I noticed I have a little fortune cookie fortune that was on the the glass plate that I keep this candle on. I don't even know when I got this fortune, but it says darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only mm-hmm. light can do that. And I thought that's so funny. I, I'm feeling so spent. I'm feeling like I don't have the energy to do anything at the end of the day. But in this moment, I was like, wait, I think I have one more candle. And then I find this little message about light driving out darkness. And I thought, what a sweet metaphor for (laughs) thinking that we have burnt the candle at both ends and feeling spent and then finding just a little bit of hope. Oh, I have one more candle. And I have one little message that I saved for myself probably years ago and tucked away and then found today. Hmm. So we're going to talk about preparing for the winter solstice today. 
because we are at the beginning of December, when this comes out, we'll have almost just about two weeks until the winter solstice, which is one of those times of year that historically people have marked and celebrated. And in our current times where we are often a little bit bereft of ritual to mark the changing of seasons in a deep, meaningful way, I feel like a lot of us have this desire to notice and mark and be in relationship with these seasonal shifts and markers, but we're not quite sure how, or I know for me, I often feel like I'm running behind and I miss it. (laughs) So we're sharing this a few weeks out as an invitation to slow down and to notice where we are in space and time right now. And just to invite some of that awareness and possibly some ways of internally and externally marking and being in relationship with this time. Mm. So Cheryl, I know you have a beautiful piece of writing about being anchored in time, and I would love to hear that. Thank you. And as you are all listening to this episode, we invite you, especially those of you in our top tier Patreon community, we will be meeting on December 21st on the solstice for our quarterly Zoom meetup to mark winter solstice together. And the journaling prompts that I'll be sharing in a bit, um, I hope you can start to utilize and draw upon and anything else that comes to you in terms of how you would like to prepare for the actual day of solstice, we encourage you to to do and to also honor, like Victoria is saying, that there is a lot of tiredness this time of year. And the dark comes earlier and kind of invites us into that more inward, lazy in a good way kind of space. But there's also some value as we talked about in two years ago in the Winter's Paradox episode, the value of putting effort in during this time of year, that it is a more, it is a time of year that requires more effort in order to reap the benefit. We were talking about it in terms of um, going out into the cold or the snow, depending on Mm -hmm. where you live. And that There's such joy and aliveness and beauty that can happen when we go outside this time of year. But in order to do so with some measure of comfort, we have to step outside our comfort zone and we have to prepare and we have to have the right clothes and perhaps engage in some activities. You had shared the story of going cross-country skiing in a local park and um, the the vigorous nature of that activity that brought such fun and joy, but that required preparation and being willing to fall and being willing to not be comfortable. And so likewise on the inner realms, it does require a little bit of extra effort to journal or to pray or to even just sit with the intention of opening to what is stirring in the field this time of year as we approach 
the solstice. It doesn't have to be anything brilliant. It doesn't have to even be written down. But to just kind of turn our dial a little bit in the direction of opening to receive some clarity, some wisdom that might be living in the darkness and also in the new day and the dawn and the sunlight. So anything that comes to mind as you are listening to take extra note because maybe it will find its way into your solstice preparations. Anchored in time. Time is like an ocean. Seen through one lens, it's an endless sea with no beginning or end. But when we slow down and change lenses, we see that there's a rhythm to the waters, places where the waves crest and fall, places where we can anchor into a still point. Without these anchors, we can feel like we're drowning in the ocean of time, flailing in both the formlessness and the inevitable endpoint of death. One of our most reliable anchoring tools is to step into the rhythm of time, the cyclic wave that weaves through a year, a month, a week, a day. When we're in the rhythm, we feel not only connected to nature, but also anchored in time. Yet most of us have been cast out of the natural rhythm that humans are meant to belong to. How do we find our way back in? One way is through rituals. Rituals help us anchor in time. They are containers that both catch grief and celebrate joy. But in our ritual bereft culture, we have lost touch with these time-honored ways of rooting through the endlessness of time. Without rituals, time becomes another place where we feel like we are free-falling. For many, we can become hyper-focused on the passage of time in a way that sends us into overwhelm and despair. The heightened awareness of the passage of time is not the problem. The problem is that we have lost the ways of marking time that have rooted humans for generations. When our sons were young, I felt an urgent need to mark time with them. We created a homegrown family ritual on each solstice and equinox as well as one to honor birthdays that went beyond having a cake and blowing out candles. Solstice celebrations can sometimes carry a New Age connotation in our modern culture, but in fact, they extend back thousands of years to our earthbound roots. 
Whether or not we choose to celebrate or acknowledge solstice or equinox, we feel it in our bones. We feel the earth tipping on its axis and delivering us into a new stage in the relationship between darkness and light. There is a natural rhythm in our world that we can participate in or ignore. We have been conditioned to ignore it, but it beckons. It calls to us because we are not separate from it. And when we ignore the rhythm, we are casting ourselves out of one of our most primal places of belonging. So we are a couple of weeks away from winter solstice, which is the longest night of the year, the day when the North Pole reaches its farthest tilt away from the sun. So from June 21st to December 21st, we lose light each day. And after December 21st, we start to gain back a few minutes of light. And of course, this is in the Northern Hemisphere. If you are in the Southern Hemisphere, it will be reversed. We call December 21st the first day of winter, but that doesn't really make sense to me because we have already entered winter. We feel it. Hmm. So I'm not sure who decided that. I know that June 21st is technically the first day of summer, but in many countries it's called midsummer. There's midsummer rituals and celebrations. And so I think this is actually midwinter, this December 21st. And then we go through January and February, but in February we already start to to sense a, a shift in the light because we have been gaining light back each day. And I've been thinking more about how the seasons are less about heat and cold, less about temperature, and more about our relationship to light and darkness. And so to think of we are now moving into somewhere around the middle of winter. So that's kind of what's happening in the natural world, how we understand, how we we place ourselves right, in that rhythm. We, we anchor ourselves in what is happening in nature, on our globe, on our earth, in relationship to the sun. And then there's what is happening on the inner realms. Right? And what is the potential? What are the invitations that, that we can open to that are swimming and flying and breathing and dancing in the field right now, in the unseen field? But we feel it. We feel it. So this is a time where the veil between the worlds is thin. We started to feel that around Halloween. 
And that is our version of recognizing that we have relationships to the ancestors, to the unseen realm, to people who have passed on. There is, I believe, a downpour of clarity and grace that can arrive during this time when we open to it. And I think a lot of our holidays, I think Christmas, it, it we we ta- we we know this, right? It becomes kind of morphed and veiled over in the way that um, consumerism has taken over some of the holidays, but. At the core, there is this downpour of clarity and and grace. And there's this, um, to me, something shimmery about this time, especially when it snows, but not only that, but sunlight on snow is a field of angels. It speaks to the heavenly realm. It's like there are these little shiny gifts everywhere, everywhere. These iridescent, shimmery, rainbowy gifts. And I thought it snowed here um, recently, a big snow. It's mostly melted now. But when I was looking at the snow, I thought, is this part of what we're trying to create with, with gifts, with actual material gifts, that the gifts are a stand-in or a proxy for the transcendent gifts that are all around us that we can lose touch with. This time of year, solstice in particular, is for humans for thousands of years has been a celebration of the triumph of the sun over darkness. We made it through another dark time of year. So it's this way to honor the sun. Um, I think in in our more self-referenced culture where we have lost touch with our relationship to the sun and the moon and the natural world, where we are not so much in reciprocal relationship, it's easy to think, oh, fire and light, it's only for our sake. But but to think of solstice as a celebration of the sun itself, as, as a way that when we light candles and when we um, make a fire that we are paying homage to, making an offering to the sun, like the magnificent miracle and gift of the sun. And this time of year is a symbol of hope that light will triumph over darkness. And we need this more than ever right now. We need to tap into the long view, into history, because it is, it can feel like a very dark time, not only what's happening currently, in our world, but also the bigger piece of what's happening in our world with climate change, with um, so much eco-anxiety. There's a lot of anxiety and there's, there's good reason, right? We have a lot of anxiety about our plight as humans and our planet. 
and what's happening in the Middle East and also other parts of the world that are suffering in Ukraine, which continues to suffer. There's a lot of suffering. And the truth is there always has been for humans. This is not a suffering-free zone, our planet Earth. It never has been. And there have been some very, very dark times on our planet. And so it is critical, it is essential that when we feel the darkness and the pain and the suffering, that we avail ourselves, that we open. And if you could see me, you would see me making the gesture of like opening the window of our hearts, opening ourselves, availing ourselves to receive the clarity, the grace, the gifts, the hope, connecting to gratitude, daring ourselves to let ourselves connect to joy, to remember that our joy is a gift that we send into like a spark of light into the greater field. I wrote about it in my blog post last week, that the question that comes, how can I feel joy when there's so much suffering? Hmm. Joy is a gift. Not to be in denial, not to be in Pollyanna, but when we experience true joy, it is an elevating. It is a, an adding to in a positive way. The invisible layers that we can't prove, but we know are there. So I have more to say, but I'm going to pause to allow there's anything that stands out for you. I am honestly just soaking it in because I Mm. feel like I just need (laughs) to soak this in right now. I'm literally just staring into my candle and watching Mm the candle itself turn soft and watching drops Mm. of wax dripping off the candle and putting my hand over the flame to feel the heat while I'm listening to you. And I'm like, oh yes, this is what I need right now Mm. to slow down in that way where I'm not doing anything else. I'm receiving your teaching and your wisdom right now. And I am just trying to be present. And I think sometimes that's what we need. So beautiful. Thank you. Mm. Thank you. And the double meanings of gifts and presence and these ways that we materialize a spiritual need Um, Not to disregard the fun of giving gifts and receiving gifts. 
No, I'm not poo-pooing any of that. But in addition to that, what might be also helpful and feel nourishing during this time is allowing ourselves to slow down into the place of presence. And I think part of the call, part of anchoring into time is to be aware of, like you were saying, Victoria, of loving the dark, of being in service to the dark, of being, Frances Weller talks about being an apprentice to grief, to be an apprentice to darkness. What would that mean? To be an apprentice to darkness, to actually celebrate the darkness itself. So when we tap in, when we look with our bigger lens to see what is happening, when we slow down to feel into the rhythm, we see that there is this mixing of darkness and light. There's there's a meeting on solstice and an, an intersection. I think there's a meeting every day. There's a meeting at dusk where there's a mixing of darkness and light. There's a meeting at dawn. Right? So this is what it is to anchor into time, being in the rhythm in a daily way that we've talked about in other episodes, those liminal hours, minutes of a day. Those are the microcosms of the big meeting, these big meetings that call to us. So there is a celebration of light this time of year, and the holidays speak to that. Hanukkah, Christmas, I'm sure many others. Those are the two big ones that we celebrate here. So there's a celebration of light and there is that, but there is also this invitation to wrap ourselves in the goodness of the dark, to drink from its luminosity that reveals itself to this degree, this many hours of the day, only during this time of year. We are right in the center of the darkness. So could we say that solstice is the wedding day of darkness with light, the day when they meet at the zenith under the star of Bethlehem, surrounded by Hanukkah candles, when they kiss under a night sky illuminated by stars? And we might be able to feel into the magic of that. What happens at a wedding day? Everybody's hearts open. It is an elevated day. We are rising. We are risen together into our highest selves because we are celebrating love and the commitment to love. And so to think of we are now approaching a wedding day How do we prepare? And I feel that there is great wisdom available to us during this descent into the darkest day of the year. 
But we have to open to it again. We have to apprentice ourselves to it instead of falling into the default habit of avoiding the dark or becoming too complacent in the dark. And to me, this means spending time, again, in the darkness each night, spending it intentionally. Each night leading up to the solstice, recognizing that this is part of how we prepare for a holiday. We have to to put effort into holiday preparation and in the spiritual realm as well. So at night, considering what it means to befriend the dark, to wrap ourselves up in the dark and listen for its wisdom. And then when we awaken to morning light, the dawn or whenever we wake up, that there is a renewal. There is a deeper awareness of the gift of a new day. Wrapped in darkness by night, we are awash by light in day. Mm. That as we talked about in those two previous episodes, it's in the contrast where there is richness. And that there is this invitation to recognize that the darkness itself is a portal into the light, right? We're not banishing the dark. We're not just trying to get through the dark, although we make room for those feelings as well. Because as we talked about in the Winter's Paradox episode, this is a harder time of year. So I don't want to whitewash the hard that can come this time of year, when it's colder, when it's darker, the elements of danger with snow and ice. So if that is where you are right now, go back and listen to that episode. This This is a deepening into what the invitations are, I think. That the invitation to recognize that the darkness itself is a portal into the into the light, just as fear and panic are doorways into trust and exhilaration, that when we stir the darkness into the cauldron of our nighttime practices, we we see the light more clearly. There is actually more light. There is this clarity that's available to us during the weeks leading up to solstice. We see it in the natural world. Without leaves on the trees, we see the sky. We see birds in the branches that are hidden by leaves in summer. The moon is often more present. We can see the moon through bare branches, and even more often this time of year in the morning sky, in the daytime sky. And the atmospheric clarity brought by the cold allows us to see the stars more clearly. So 
it can be a pared down to essentials time when we avail ourselves of this energy instead of only getting caught up in the busyness. Right? We can discover our deeper layers of clarity as, as outside, so inside. The outer clarity invites the inner clarity. We see more sky and against the backdrop of vastness, we open to inner ways of seeing and knowing. So the invitation for all of you is to connect with the land, connect with the light and the darkness, connect with what's happening in our solar system to make direct contact, be in conversation, listen to what the sun and the moon and the land might be saying to you. It's a potent time for us to connect with the rhythm of the earth. Against the sparseness, we might be able to hear more clearly. So these are the writing prompts. I encourage you to write them down. If the sun could speak to you about the return of light, what would it say? What might it say to you about clarity, about hope, about grace? If the darkness could share its wisdom, what would it say? If the land could speak to you, or if you could listen to the land, what might you hear during this time? Who might you meet in the darkness? And I will also share this, that if we don't come willingly into darkness's cave, it will find us. Last year, as I shared at that time, I was dragged into darkness. This year, I walked toward it on my own accord, curious, Empty-handed, undefended, darkness, I say. I am ready to deepen the dance we began last year. I am ready to enter the underground womb of Mother Darkness in these weeks preceding her renewal of vows to Father Light. Did you spend time with the writing prompts this last week? I did. Very messy in my journal. And I think the the clearer writing 
came through for me around darkness and light and this time. Um, I went to a study group last week and it was so good to be with people. Mm -hmm. And starting out with song and delving into a text together. And while I was there, what I wrote was this. Winter is yin time, a time to allow the still, dark energy of the feminine to guide and infuse us, as we talked about in Winter's Paradox episode. The rhythm invites slowness. When everything in our culture is pushing us to consume, stay busy, do and go and get stuff done, the natural world is in diametric opposite pace. It's turning inward and preparing for hibernation. To be in the rhythm of nature and anchor into time is to follow winter's pace, which means to allow ourselves to slow down during this season. And then this is what I wrote when I was sitting in the group. Winter is for study. By candlelight or lamplight, moon hung low or high, alone or in a group, the dark invites us to ignite the mind. Winter is for song, one voice or many, lifted on stillness, so clear against dark night sky. The trees that give and give in the other three seasons receive our song. Notes burrow like warm heart pockets, held in reserve for the nights when sap freezes. Do not forsake us, beseech the trees. And we respond with song. Winter is for being with loved ones, to laugh, to eat, to play, to listen to music, to dance, to huddle close in thick afghans, threads of memory weaving us together through time. Winter is for hot water, baths, tubs, springs, tea. It's a time to nourish, relax, and replenish in mother's heat. This part about the trees, Victoria, I I felt it very much last winter as well that this knowing that nature needs us as much as we need nature and particularly this time of year when it's a bit more treacherous for everybody, including the natural world, the squirrels and the birds and the trees, right? That, That branches break in storms and animals don't make it. And that, you know, I've talked a lot about 
the trees on this land where we are so blessed to live. And that one of my favorite rituals this time of year is just to go out and put my hand on the bark and to imagine that the warmth in my hand right, is somehow penetrating, helping the cold bark. The bark is so cold. And I've wondered, and I've looked it up, and I didn't find any answers. Maybe somebody in our community knows. Do trees get cold? What is it like for them? You know, I think there's this very deep call right now on our planet to remember that we are in reciprocal relationship with the natural world and the ancestral world and the world of the seasons, the time that we are in. It's a relationship. These are all relationships. And perhaps these are relationships that we can nurture more in in the giving. Like this is the season of giving, right? And but we again to slow that down and unpack that phrase a little bit. Yes, we give to our human kin, but what does it mean to give to our non-human kin as well? You know that the tree that we see every day when we walk down the street, right? the squirrels that are scampering around or the birds that are so quiet sometimes, the quiet this time of year, but then we hear them. You know, how much nature gives us all year round and now what might we give back? There's a town in New Jersey that I love called French Town. It's a little river town. And every winter, whenever I go to go to the bookshop and the coffee shop, there are knitted sweaters that they put on their trees along Main Street. (laughs) (laughs) It's so sweet. And it's a reminder, yes, this is also a time to donate coats and gloves and hats Yes, to people who don't have homes, to people who are outside in the freezing cold. And yes, it is a time that can be very treacherous. You know, I don't take for granted that I can enjoy this cold, dark time because mm-hmm. I have a warm, safe home. Mm-hmm. And- there's a ferocity that is required in winter too. Like there is that bunker down and hibernate, but then there is also if you're going to go out, <laughs> you have to kind of gird your loins a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and maybe that's why when I did sit down with the journal prompts and I wrote about darkness, the first image that came to my mind was an old woman. Mm. A very wise, hardy old woman (laughs) Mm. who is there to wrap you up in a quilt that she made and give you a hot cup of tea 
and chop the firewood. Like, you know, I have a grandmother, my Nima, your son's grandmother, who is a strong woman. She's 91 years old. And I remember when she was in her 70s and she was still chopping down small trees in her backyard. (laughs) And like that is the energy that I also want to tap into in winter, you know? Mm-hmm. Old woman winter. Winter is the archetype of the elder. And we don't have to be an elder to tap into that ferocity, right? That um, sturdiness, that c- capability of remembering that we are capable, that we have strength, that sometimes highly sensitive people can feel fragile to themselves, but that everybody is more resilient than we think. And winter invites us to explore that edge of resilience and rigor and capacity, ferocity. And I think it's also a time that can invite, when we slow down, can invite some cleaning out. I just cleaned out our front closet and wow, I, I don't know how we fit so much was like six bags in a little closet of coats and boots that my boys have outgrown, um, shoes that nobody wears, sweaters that I haven't worn in years. And I packed them all up and took them to the donation site. And it's a good time of year to do that, to clear out and to give. And I think we all know that giving is one of the best medicines for hopelessness and despair. That we all have that capacity, you know, to give something, anything, no matter how small. And that it matters. When I was writing from that place of speaking to darkness, speaking to darkness Mm -hmm. as an old woman, (laughs) Mm -hmm. I heard her saying, you need rest. Mm. You are so tired. Your factory mind is worrying, worrying all day and half the night, and you need a good long sleep. But it's not just rest and sleep that you need. Mm. It's also a sense of calm and steadiness that you seek so that peace can live inside of you even when the sun is up and while you are working and moving and eating and laughing. And peace starts in the dark, in the quiet, in your bones, right here in the dark. Can you read it again, please? Yeah. So darkness says, rest. You are so tired. Your factory mind is worrying, worrying all day and half the night. You need a good long sleep. 
a good rest, but not just sleep, not just rest. A sense of calm and steadiness is what you seek so that peace can live inside of you even when the sun is up, while you work and move and give and eat and laugh. But that peace starts in the dark, in the quiet, in your bones, right here in my home of the dark. I think that idea that it's not just rest and sleep that we need. Yes. Like what you're saying, sometimes it's not just that we need sleep and rest, which we do, but sometimes we need other things. You know, we need movement. We need to be in relationship. We need to be giving and receiving Mm -hmm. and all of those things. It's just that maybe we are also craving just a sense of peace within ourselves or a sense of calm and steadiness that can ride the storms. Yes. I think that's the whole thing, Victoria, really, is that we are desperately craving that island of peace, that place of peace inside of us. And that often we find that first in the slowness and the stillness and the rest, and that from the rest, from that place, then we know where to move next, what is needed next. It's not the final sentence of the story. It's the beginning. And that longing for that place of peace inside. And that peace is another energy in the field when we look to the holidays, right? It's so much about peace. And our lifelong, and I mean the lifetime of our existence as humans, longing for peace on this planet. That really, that's all any of us want and need and deserve is peace. We don't always know how to get there as a species. But as individuals, you know, we, we, we have some sense, everybody has some sense of what brings us into that place of restfulness and peace. And from there, we act from the doing, from the being, rather, from the being comes the doing. We have it a little bit backwards in the culture this time of year, right? There's there's so much doing. There's so much busy. There's so much frenzy. And again, it's not to get rid of that, but it's to can we, can we as a gathering gold community, can we turn that around a little bit? Can we allow the doing to come from the being? Can we start in the being? Can we start in the yin? Can we start in the feminine? Can we open and avail ourselves to that energy that is so present right now. Before going out.
and in relationship with, in dialogue with the going out, the going out and the coming in. Mm -hmm. Just having that relationship, like you shared about being in the study group and you had spent that time with your kind of messy journal pages in solitude. Mm -hmm. And then you went out and you were in communion with other people and more clarity arose. And it was the both and. It was the being alone and it was the going out and being with that marriage that you talked about of the dark and the light. And I have to tell you, every part of my being wanted to stay home that night. Yes. I did not want to leave our cozy, lit up, warm house. Yes. I have a very hard time leaving at night in winter and getting in my car and it started at 7 p.m. and it had already been dark for two hours. I had worked all day. It was the last thing I wanted to do, but I had made a commitment to my friend who was leading it. I had told her I would be there. And so I went and I'm sitting there thinking, why do we resist the things (laughs) that nourish us the most? And it's that effort and ease episode that we did. And I think, as I said in the beginning, it's highlighted during winter. We have to put more effort in in order to reap the benefits that can come in winter. It is harder. It is a harder season. And so, again, that, that discernment of, yes, we need to rest, and sometimes we need to go out. Right? And it's a common theme I hear a lot in my clients, especially sensitive introverts, not so much the extroverts, but sensitive, introverted, empath. It's like, it's a lot to muster it all up, you know, (laughs) and go into the world. And then so often what I hear is, I'm so glad I went, whatever the thing is, you know, not always, but a lot of the time it's, I'm so glad I went. Yes, I think that's my resistance to sunlight. (laughs) That's why I like the dark because it's less stimulation. It's, I can sink into more of a relaxed state because it feels like Mm -hmm. there's less stimulation and less demands. And I know that, like you said, there's a complacency that can happen. So that has been a focus of mine right now is yes, to enjoy the dark, but also to go out and to invite people in. And that's been a really important piece for me right now. Yes. Is this an okay time to to wrap up and say? Yes. Yeah. Yes. We can wrap up and we look forward to connecting with um some of you on December 21st at the Solstice Zoom gathering meetup. And we very much look forward to hearing what comes forth for you in the next couple of weeks. Um, Hopefully you wrote down those prompts. I'm sure, Victoria, maybe we can just post them on the Patreon 
so that people have those available and can do your own preparation. And, you know, also whatever, again, whatever comes to you, these are just suggestions, whatever comes to you in terms of aligning with the season right now and anchoring into it and stepping into the rhythm. And for you, that might not be writing, that might be creating art or making wreaths or making sure your candle collection is (laughs) robust (laughs) for example (laughs) but there's so many ways to be connecting to the rhythm right now so many ways a million billion ways so to stay open to what finds you and who finds you and what relationships feel alive to you right now Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you, Victoria.